You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 95 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Plain Dead. Plain Dead is a four-piece rock band from Long Island, New York. They play a mixture of indie rock, power pop, and elements of punk. With loud guitars and catchy melodies, they draw influence from bands like Sam I Am and Face to Face. The band plans on recording three consecutive EPs, the first of which is already available under the name Catharsis of Choice. For more information on Plain Dead, you can check them out on Instagram and Facebook at Plain Dead NY. Now here it is, their new single, Start Today. How many days do we have to be here? Said I don't want to grieve here. Just want to leave here lately. How many nights do we go through motions? To be a question you're doing.
radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Josh from The Beautiful Mistake, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the van tomorrow, we'll do it. We'll do it all again Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? This is Chris Swinney. As always, I am your host for that one time on tour. If you are joining us for the first time, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. So thanks a lot for last week with Joe King, a.k.a. Joe Queer from the infamous Queers. We had a great time chatting about everything, and uh, hopefully we'll have Joe back in the future. Joe's a really cool guy. If you have not heard last week's episode, go check that out. That was episode 94. Today is episode 95, and I got to have a wonderful conversation with Josh from The Beautiful Mistake I love The Beautiful Mistake so much. I've been listening to them for years and years and years, all the way back to their first demo EP, the December EP. And uh, we talk about that. We talk about how they tried to re-record it like three different times for for their label, and it never seemed like it worked out. And uh, we talk about the reformation of the band and their new EP that's coming out. They've got two singles that have dropped so far. So before I get to my conversation with Josh, as always, I got to do some housekeeping and uh, I got to pay some bills. So I got to tell you about my sponsors, Playing Dead, the awesome band that sponsored this episode. Thank you guys so much. All the way from Long Island, New York. Make sure to check out Playing Dead on all of the streaming services and you can check them out on the socials at Playing Dead NY. 
Uh, give a shout out to Permanence Tattoo Gallery. My buddy Jacob Harrison, past guest of the show and proprietor of Permanence Tattoo Gallery, the only place in central Indiana to get your ink. Head on over to at Permanence Tattoo Gallery on all the socials. Get all the info and get tattooed at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Merge 4 Socks is still on board as a sponsor. I love Merge 4. They make awesome socks. They've got socks from bands like the Circle Jerks, the Foo Fighters, Sublime. They have socks from Jimbo Phillips, who's going to be on the show in the future. He's an artist. He he did all kinds of album art for No Use for a Name, and he's done stuff like posters for Metallica. And he has his own socks over at Merge 4. So go on over to Merge4.com. And if you guys are interested, you want to support the show, and you want to get some awesome stuff from Merge 4, hit me up. I have 50% off promo codes. Um, I put one up on the show a while back. They're first come, first serve. But if you want one, you've got to hit me up on any of the socials at TOTOT Podcast, or you can hit me up, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com, and I will hook you up with a 50% off code for whatever you buy at Merge 4. Shout out to Cindy. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring yet another episode. And uh, we have one more sponsor today. Mr. Small does math. Do you guys need help with math? Do your kids need help with math? Well, Mr. Small is a punk rocker who does math. He's got an awesome YouTube channel. He's getting all kinds of new subscribers every day, and you guys need to check it out. We have a, a little tiny thing that I need to tell you. You need, you need to go to tinyurl.com forward slash Mr. Small does math. Head on over and get your math fix. As a music teacher myself, math is very important. It goes hand in hand with, you know, music theory, which I teach quite a bit. And I know that in this in this day and age of common core and all this different stuff with math, wouldn't it be great if a guy who loves the descendants taught you and your kids how to do math? So head on over to tinyurl.com forward slash Mr. Small does math and subscribe to his videos and check it out. Shout out to Mr. Small. Thank you so much. And that's it for the sponsors today. If you want to sponsor an episode, you have a band or you have a company or you teach math on YouTube like Mr. Small, you can hit me up, podcast at gmail.com and I will give you all the details and we will work it out. I work with all budgets and I'm just trying to keep the lights on. So if you guys want to help out, go ahead and hit me up. Another way that you can help me keep the lights on is to become a patron. You can head on over to patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast and sign up for one of the three tiers that we have. I'd like to give a shout out to our two Patreon producers, Bob Foster out of California and John Exton out of the United Kingdom. I'd also like to give a shout out to John's band Between Static and Silence. Uh, they just released a new single called The Fiction of Addiction on all the streaming platforms. And yours truly, Mr. Christopher Swinney, mastered the track. So go ahead and check it out. Between Static and Silence, their new song, The Fiction of Addiction. And let me know if you think I did a good job mastering the track. I'm doing all kinds of stuff now. I'm mastering stuff for bands. I'm doing mixing. I'm doing editing and mixing and mastering for people's podcasts. If you want to get in touch with me about that, you can hit me up at TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com, like I said, or you can email me at my new business email that I just started, Motormouth Digital. It's motormouthdigital at gmail.com. 
Okay, so that's all the housekeeping. Thank you guys for suffering through that. Sometimes I'm, I wonder if people listen or if they just hit the 30 second forward thing. But uh, if you guys have ever if you guys have ever supported any of my sponsors, just know that you're supporting the show because by you guys, you know, using them and buying their stuff and, and taking care of them and supporting them, it lets them know that their money that they are paying to be a sponsor on this show that helps me keep the show going is actually worth it because they're getting out there in front of new people. So please support my sponsors. And uh, I really appreciate you guys listening every week. This is, it's a great thing. And I love doing this podcast. So we have a radio segment today. It's a little bit different, but cue the theme music. On this edition of TOTOT Radio, like I said, we're doing things a little bit different. I went on our Facebook group and I told you, I want to know what albums changed your life. And I've had a lot of responses. I told you, you could go ahead and call the hotline 765-372-8818. Leave me a voicemail and I'm going to highlight people's albums that changed their life. So uh, I'm going to tell you today, we got this awesome voicemail from my buddy Marcelo down in Brazil, and he wants to tell you guys about the album that changed his life, and it's one that actually changed my life as well. It's the Fat Records compilation, Fat Music for Fat People, and uh, here's Marcelo to tell you a little bit more about it. Hey, Chris. Hey, everyone. This is Marcelo from Brazil. 1995, I was... 14 years old, uh, I had some albums uh, from Green Day, uh, Offspring, Rancid, Bad Religion, but I haven't found the sound yet. Then uh, Surf Magazine in Brazil uh, released a compilation, and it has a Peaceful Day from, of Pennywise, Bleeding Heart Disease of No Effects, Master Celebrator of no fun at all. The Treaty and the Bridge of Satanic Surfers, Mr. Clean of Milling Calling, and Radio Raga from Down by Law. It was great. And then we, we started uh, looking for the albums of uh, that bands. Then a friend of mine bought the Punk and Drublik of No Effects, and that was the first step of my, my music history. Then we, we learned about uh, Fat Records, so we tried to order some albums from Brazil. Then we put money on the letter, and I first bought the Fat Music for Fat People, number one. And I think that's the album that changed my life. It was really cheap. It was about two dollars and so it was the our first try to buy an album from Brazil and then we, we got to know Strung Out, No Use for a Name, Propaganda, Legwagon and so many 
awesome bands. And the album came with the catalog. So I tried to find some albums, some CDs here in Brazil. It was very hard. So we ordered from FAT, putting money on the ladder. And then I bought so many albums, so many CDs from these cool bands. And that's the sound that I listen nowadays. Every single day I go to work and I put on Spotify punk rock. So since that day, 1995, when I bought fat music for fat people, it's changed my life. It's the best investment ever. Only $2 for a changing of life. So I'd like to say thanks to Marcelo all the way from Brazil for calling in and telling me about the record that changed your life. And I got to say fat music for fat people. When I got that, it changed my life too. I was a sophomore in high school. I was a little bit older than you, but man, it was, it was great. And I am going to play my favorite song off of that record right now for this radio segment. So once again, thanks to Marcelo. If you guys have a record that changed your life, an album that changed your life, call the hotline. It is 765-372-8818 and tell me about the album. Maybe I'll play it on an episode. But this is my favorite song. It's a lead-off track for fat music for fat people. It is by Propagandi and it is called Anti-Manifesto. Hey! 
So there it was, Anti-Manifesto by Propagandi. Thanks again for Marcelo for telling me the album that changed his life. Like I said, if you guys want to call in, the hotline is 765-372-8818. Tell me about the album that changed your life, and maybe I will feature you on an upcoming episode. Okay, that's it for the intro. It was a long one, and I have an even longer conversation with Josh from The Beautiful Mistake. So let's get into it right now. This is a good one. You're going to love it. Josh from The Beautiful Mistake. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Josh from The Beautiful Mistake. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing well. That's, I'm really excited to have you on the show, man. I, uh, I've been listening to you guys ever since the first EP, the December EP. That, you're taking it back to the old school right now. That's awesome. The old school. And I'm going to tell you, man, like I've liked everything that you guys have put out. I've been a huge fan, but I find myself going back to that EP more than anything else. I don't really know why. That EP was so much fun. And I listened to it for the first time, maybe, maybe eight months ago. And I hadn't listened to it since maybe 2003. And we finally put it up online and it was kind of fun. Like it took me back to when we recorded that and and the fun time we had in the studio. I mean, that was like us in our infancy, pretty much. So it was cool to listen to. And you were in a band prior to the beautiful mistake called Ember, correct? Yeah, that's right. So can you kind of take me how like we'll get into the reunion talk and talk about the new stuff and everything. But how did the band actually get going back in the day? So uh, Sean, our guitar player, Josh, our drummer and Steve, our guitar player, and myself, we all played in a band called Ember. And Ember started in 1998, and we went to uh, you know early 2000. And when that stopped, we still wanted to keep doing a band, and we all liked hardcore and emo stuff. And so we decided, hey, we're going to keep going. We're just going to change the name and write all new songs. And you got you guys are in San Diego or the area around there, right? Well, we started in Riverside, okay, uh, in the Inland Empire, and then some of us moved out to Huntington Beach, and then I moved down to San Diego, and we've always kind of claimed Southern California as our home. Okay, so when when the band got together, I mean, you were talking about liking hardcore and liking emo bands. What were some of the bands that were kind of inspiring to you guys as the band was starting? Well, we jokingly always said that we wanted to be a cross between mineral and shy dude. Like, I can, I can kind of hear that in the music actually. Yeah. Yeah. That was always kind of the, the joke, but you know, we were listening to mineral and sunny day real estate and Texas is the reason and things like that. But then we also love Snapcase and shy and strife and strong arm. Those bands always really spoke to us. So we kind of mixed both of those up. Like we wanted to have the singing, we wanted to have the screaming. Um, and there weren't a lot of bands when we started that were doing that. You had maybe Drowning Man and a few others. But, you know, from us being from Riverside in 2000, we hadn't really heard a lot of the East Coast bands that had started to do that. Yeah. When you guys were, you know, in Riverside, that area starting the band, were you playing a lot of punk shows? Because, I mean... Just me, from my experience out there, 
playing in the Ataris, playing in different punk bands. That area seems pretty punk rock to me. So was it kind of a mixed bag when you would play the local shows? It Yeah, it was really weird. We would play one weekend with Falling Cycle and As I Lay Dying. Wow. And, and the next weekend we'd be playing with a bunch of pop punk bands. Uh, I remember our second show ever, we got entered into a battle of the bands. And it was all pop punk bands that were in high school from Corona. And we lost. <laughs> well, you guys are probably the the odd man out, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we started playing Orange County more, it was funny because we'd see people from Bleeding Through and Atreyu bringing their girlfriends to come see us play. Um, but we, you know, it was really cool because we we kind of played with everyone. So whether they were maybe more on the emo side of things, more mellow or they were full-blown metal or, you know, punk rock, hardcore. We kind of played with all those type of bands yeah. and we were able to kind of fit in with all of them and we were accepted by all of them, which was pretty awesome. Well, I want to I want to jump ahead a little bit because I was actually okay, so I've I've listened to you guys forever. I know Brian, my bass player from the Ataris, he actually turned me on to the band. I think he got the December EP somewhere online. Like, like I think he stole it. <laughs> I think it was yeah, like probably maybe Napster or LimeWire or one of those yeah. er early, you know, things on the internet. But uh, I was in a band before I was in the Ataris, this punk band from Indiana called Chronic Chaos. And we played a show with you, you guys in Glass Eater in Panama City, Florida in, uh, I think, 2003. Nice. I'm sure you have no idea, but I have a little bit of a little bit of a story. You guys in Glass Eater, I don't know if you were on tour together, but you guys were kind of the big wig guys at this show. I think there were like probably nine bands on the on the show, but like you guys and then us, we were like the other out of town band. We were just on our own tour. But you guys actually gave us some of your food that they gave you. Nice. I just I just remember that like you guys are you guys hungry? We have some food and like we hadn't eaten in like three days. So Oh, awesome. But yeah, it's like I don't I don't remember much about that, but I was going through some stuff last night and I was like, I, I guarantee we played a show and I found it and I remembered that. I talked to some of my guys from the band and yeah, you guys actually made sure we didn't die that one day on our tour. So thank you very that's, much. That's for that. awesome. You are you're very welcome. I think that show was at some weird venue too. It, it was it was called Club Illusions. Yeah, and it was kind of like it was it like a western theme inside. Yeah, it was very much a western theme. Like that was our like second or third trip to to Florida because when you live in the middle of the country, you know, I know living in, you know, California, you guys can do the entire west coast and everything. But when you live in Indiana, it's kind of cool because 60% of the country is within a day's drive. So like yeah. we would go weekend trips to to New York, we would go down to Florida, and that was like our second or third time in Florida. And I just I just remember the the promoter that night, he was like, you know, I have a huge show, I can't pay you guys, but there'll be people that will buy merch. And we ended up selling like 50 CDs that night. So thank you for letting us kind of skim off the top of some of your fans. <laughs> That's awesome. I remember that tour too, because it was with Glass Eater and North Star. Yeah, North Star was there too. Yeah, I remember that. We played some horrible venues, just yeah. some of the worst that you could ever imagine. And there were plenty of times when you know, I was getting electrocuted by the mic um, and we were playing, you know, out in the middle of the country somewhere in Tennessee. 
to like six people. Yeah, I've been there, man. All related. And it was really weird. (laughs) So when you guys were doing that stuff in 2003, I mean, we're going to kind of jump around a lot because I want to talk about a lot of your records and the stuff that you've done. But in 2003, were you guys working with like a booking agent or were you doing it DIY? Like how, how did that tour come together with Glass Eater? So we were doing it with a booking agent. Um, We booked all of our own stuff up until maybe end of 2002. So we were just networking online using websites like mp3.com to meet bands in other towns. Yeah. And we were just cobbling together shows and tours, you know, and then, and then hooking up with those bands when they'd come out on the West coast. Um, but we were working with a booking agent by then. Uh, I forget the name of our booking agent. We had one and we were so excited about having this new booking agent. And like, I think all of us were like, we finally made it. We have a booking agent. That was always kind of the the thing. Like I remember when I was young and uh, the first time that my old band started actually having people book our shows for us, you feel like, well, the next step's MTV, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The next step is being catapulted into teenage stardom. Oh, yeah. Um, you're going to be on the cover of AP Magazine. Hot Topic is going to call. They're going to want all your stuff. Yeah, that was the road to fame back then. I just I remember as far as like my experience goes, I was in a lot of bands that worked with a lot of record labels and, you know, I had some situations that a lot of people would have probably been very excited to have. But when I actually joined the Ataris, I was like, wait a minute. So we get per diem and hotels every night. That's (laughs) insane, man. Yep. Yeah. Did you guys used to do like the five dollar a day per diem thing? Uh, when we first started, we were—I think we were on like two fifty. Wow! Yeah. Okay. I mean, we were we were you know stringing together shows and just grinding it out, and it, it's really character building when you're in the middle of nowhere, away from everyone, and you're broke. Oh yeah. You know, you'd rather spend your two fifty on a pack of cigarettes and then <laughs> hope hope there's pizza at the venue that night. I just, I remember one time, like I've always, it's not a good habit to have, but I, I, I was a smoker. I still occasionally am a smoker. I probably shouldn't. But, uh, I remember the one time I was on a tour with this band called the migraines. They were this punk band from Indiana. I was playing bass for them and I didn't have enough money for my camel lights. So I bought lucky strikes and I loved them. And I wish that you could still get lucky strikes. <laughs> it was- there was a time uh, when we were touring with Ember and I found a coupon in the newspaper that was like two packs for a dollar or something like that. And yeah. and they were some off brand and, and they were just the worst of the worst. I think they were called Carlton. Oh, I've heard of Carlton. Yeah. I don't know if I've tried them or not, but I went around to the a newspaper stand and I put a quarter in and I pulled all those out of every newspaper. <laughs> And then I took him in and I went and, you know, I saved up my money and like anywhere I could find him, I'd pull out that coupon, you know, and the, the, the people were always looking at me kind of crooked. Like, where did you get these? I've, I've never asked this on the podcast before because I've never really talked about smoking, but since you and I both, both have experience with smoking, um, were you ever at a place on tour or off tour when they used to have like the, the cigarette kind of guys that would come in and they would just, you could sign a your name down for a mailing list and they'd give you two free packs of cigarettes. Did you ever do that? Yeah. Uh, they had that all the time, like probably 2000 to 2002. And then 
anytime we do CMJ. Oh yeah, yeah. South by Southwest. South by Southwest. We did North by Northeast, and they had them up there too, up in Canada. Yeah, that that was like you hit the mother load because you saved all your per diem was now saved. You could now eat and have like normal sustenance. Well, I just remember that like. uh Back in the day, my drummer and I both smoked, but nobody else in the band smoked. So we would have the other guys go sign up and get their two packs and give them to us. And then we would actually, at the show or wherever we were at, we would just go up to random people and say, do you smoke? And they say, no, I don't smoke. I'm like, will you go sign this and give me the packs? <laughs> and we, we'd walk with like four cartons each of cigarettes for the yeah. night. Yeah, and it would last you like two weeks. You'd be like, what the heck? Yeah, I had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a lot of like, you know, older punk bands, but I had uh, Tom from Big Wig on the program. And and the first time that I met Tom, I was on tour in Canada and my band was playing with Big Wig and we became fast friends because every time I went to Canada, I brought four cartons of camels and you can't get American cigarettes in Canada. So <laughs> we became very close friends when he found out I had camel lights. That's awesome. Okay, so we'll get off the cigarette talk for a while. I do enjoy talking about it. It's nice to meet someone else that was dumb enough to smoke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, so the one thing that I wanted to talk about, about, you know, I love that December EP. We were discussing that. I know that you guys actually, I guess you attempted to re-record it for the Beautiful Mistake EP. And from what I've read and what I've kind of even listening to it, I know that you guys weren't super stoked on how it came out. Can you kind of take me through that process of what happened with that second EP? Yeah. So after we signed to uh, the militia group, uh, there was kind of a sub label with the militia group called Sideshow. And they wanted to re record the original December EP and put it out because, you know, the December EP was very limited in distribution. And you know, I thought the production on that December EP was pretty good, though. I mean, yeah. Were you guys not stoked with the original production? No, we were. But the the label wanted to re-record it and repackage it. Oh, okay. And add another song to it. And was it was it a thing of where I guess because the December EP was on Republica? Like, did they own the rights to the recordings? Is that why they wanted you to re-record it? No, that's funny because. Uh, that was a made-up record company. Okay, I, I made that name up because we wanted to make our EP look real official. Yeah, you always back in the day. I remember that any release we had, if we weren't on an actual label, you have to like, oh well, yeah, that's whatever records. You know what I mean? Yeah, I made that up. Like I came up with the logo and I found the like uh, Soviet font on you know online, and that was my apartment address on there. Okay. And so, no, we just put that on there and paid the extra money for a barcode. So it looked official. That's literally, there was no record label. It was so with the re recording of it. I mean, couldn't they just have taken the original recordings and maybe remastered it or something? Well, that's what we suggested after the recording process went awry. So we, uh, we spent six weeks re recording it in Long Beach, you know, at different times. Yeah. And then we were going out on tour. And when we heard the original mixes, they actually sounded pretty good. And then when we heard the final product, uh, there were scratch tracks, uh, scratch tracks of guitars that were left in the mix. Really? Yeah. So you'll hear, there's a couple songs in there where you hear like another guitar a little bit off. 
Yeah, and, and and for the listeners out there that aren't like you know super into recording or, or or musicians, scratch tracks are basically you're playing a guitar track to get drums done or some something else done or just to have a reference, and you might not play it completely correct, but it's there and it's supposed to be taken out or re-recorded with like a comp track or whatever. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. So when when we heard that, we were like no we can't release this and the label was like no we need to get it out and so we suggested why don't you just put out the december ep again and we can remix it um or or do something with it because we thought that the original sounded a million times better i mean it i mean it does <laughs> i'm gonna yeah, tell you right absolutely. now and that didn't happen so when that came out we were super bummed about it. like we just did not want that to come out um it came out it's it's the one with the blue cover and there's kind of like a, a female face on it. Yeah. And we were just really bummed about it. So uh, about a year later, uh, we approached uh, Militia again and we were like, can we just redo this whole thing? Like, we just want to redo it uh, and, and make it right because we felt really bad about it. And so we ended up going to Sean O'Donnell and uh he was in dogwood he was in yellow card yeah and he recorded it for us and it ended up turning out pretty cool and we did some like rearranging of some of the songs and did some extended intros and outros and things like that and we were really happy with it and then that came out so that was actually the third version <laughs> of it which is so ridiculous but that one came out and we were actually really happy with it can, can I can I ask like as far as like leaving scratch tracks and stuff in, who was in charge of that? Like, was there a producer? Was there some engineer or mixing engineer that just didn't really have the notes or understand what was going on? Because I'm pretty sure you guys spent six weeks doing it. There was the actual guitar track there. I mean, I, I guess I don't understand why those were left in. Yeah, so we weren't there for the physical mixing. Okay, and because we were out, we were out on tour. So when we were hearing things, we were like, we didn't get it until it was all mixed and it was ready to be pressed. Because yeah, I guess back then they're probably not sending you like a zip file, right? <laughs> no, no, we didn't hear it until we got back Yeah, from tour and it had already like been sent off to production because I wow. think I assumed that, oh, we'd be cool with it. Yeah. But we were absolutely not cool with it. And so that, that was, that was a huge bummer for us. Cause it felt like, you know, we were starting to get momentum and then this thing comes out and I'm sure people heard that and they're like, this band sucks. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so, I mean, it is kind of cool though, that you guys have the December EP, which in my mind is a classic for me and my friends. And then you've got, you know, the beautiful mistake EP, which was the one you weren't happy with. And then you've got the second, try you know going through beautiful mistake ep so you actually have three eps that kind of give a different snapshot of how those songs can be i mean that that's kind of interesting yeah all all the versions of the songs are different which is kind of funny yeah um but you know and that just comes from when you start playing songs on the road you start finding out things you want to do with them or you're playing a lead a little different and all of our songs have kind of taken that turn once we started playing them live yeah so I think every song that we have, like there's something different about it live, whether it's a lead or like a, uh, the bridge is a little longer or, I mean, you kind of have fun with those things when you're playing them every night. 
So you guys, the next thing that you guys did, or actually the, the interim between both Beautiful Mistake EP re-records, <laughs> you, you guys had Light a Match for I Deserve to Burn, and I want to say that record, I, I loved it so much. I mean, you went to Ed Rose for the producer, for the production, correct? Yeah. How, how was that process with Ed? I've known a lot of people, my old uh, kind of thrashy, metally band uh, called the Widow Jenkins. At, at one point, we were supposed to record with Ed, and it just kind of never happened. But uh, I have friends in the band Emery who actually went to Ed Rose because of the production they heard on your record. It kind of drove them to contact yeah. him. So yeah. can you take me through a little bit of that process and what it was like, first of all, hooking up with Ed and then how it was in the studio with him? Yeah, so we were fans of the Get Up Kids and Coalesce. And Definitely, yeah, awesome. Appleseed Cast and all those bands that had, had and Casket Lottery, all those bands that had worked with Ed. And then, you know, Branson had gone there a bunch as well. So when we had our list of people we wanted to go to uh, and talk to Militia about that, we were like, Ed Rose is at the top of the list. You know, obviously, like Ken Andrews from Failure would have been the the penultimate yeah. production person. But like, he's also super, super expensive. Um, and so they worked out a deal with Ed, the, the label did, and uh, we got to go out there and we had we had two weeks with Ed. And it was intense. Like, he's a genius. He he knows how to get awesome tones and and he's super intense and you have to have your stuff together when you go see him. So there were some growing pains for us when we were in the studio because, you know, we were still a fairly young band. Yeah. And and we're in there with someone that we have just massive amounts of respect for. And then he's just, you know, pushing us and pushing us and pushing us and yelling at us and trying to get the best, best take from us. Yeah. And it was good. It really stretched us. Like there were moments there where we thought we were all going to crack because, you know, we're away from home. We're, we're relatively broke and we're with this person that is just amazing um so it was intense but it was we were really happy with what happened there at the studio and just what the final result was for sure was there any anxiety coming right off of the heels of that kind of fiasco with the the last recording yeah i think so i mean we had rehearsed these songs and we had you know worked most of these songs out uh prior so we felt pretty confident going in but, you know, there was that in the back of our mind, like, oh, no, like, what if we totally choke or what if we what if, you know, we get in there and he thinks we're horrible and he kicks us out. I mean, these were actual things that we were thinking. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't help you build any sort of confidence when you're in the booth and you've got Ed Rose staring at you going, do it again, do it again, do it again, you know? Yeah. So, um you know, overall, it was an awesome experience. You know, I feel like it made us a better band. It made us uh, better musicians. It made us more like mindful of what we were going to do in the studio later in the band's career. So it was intense, though. He's he's awesome, but he's scary. Now, and you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You do the melodic singing, correct? Yeah, I do all the singing parts. So in the studio with Ed, I mean, I've heard some stories about, you know, working on vocals and whatnot with Toby and some of the guys from Emory. How was that for you? Was that very, very stressful? I mean, was he pretty much a stickler as far as like, was there, 
I know this was back in 2003, whatever. Was there any auto-tune? Was there anything like that? Or were you just having to nail everything correctly? Because everything sounds wonderful on the record. Yeah, so what he wanted to do was he wanted to double every vocal on the record. And now, when we, I think we recorded it in uh, March of 2002. And so when I went in there, we did all the drums, all the guitar, all the bass first. Yeah. And then we would alternate between the screaming parts and the singing parts just to give myself a little bit of a rest, which wasn't necessarily the best because here I have to sing 10 songs. <laughs> so you're really singing 20, right? Because you're doing a yeah, double. Exactly. So we had two days to do vocals and That's I had insane. to double every one of those songs. And he would just, it, it, he would try to get the best performance and then he would go, all right, double that. You know, but that could have been five or six or 10 takes in before he said that. Yeah. So I was singing stuff over and over and over. And then when he said double that, I knew, okay, he liked that take. He feels that that's a good performance and it's, you know, on pitch and things like that. So were you, were you going for takes or were you doing comps? We were going for just solid performances. Okay. Yeah, give me a solid performance. If I need to tweak anything that's too far out of whack, I can. And then do it again, identical to how you just did it. <laughs> and I, I don't think some people out there listening probably don't understand because now, you know, you've got those, those things like vocal align and you've got like all the auto-tune stuff where I, I've seen people, there's a studio where I, I teach guitar and they record and they've got the vocal align thing. And basically, if you do a really good take, and then you double it and you're not completely on, you just hit this little button and it like uses an algorithm and makes it perfect. So you don't have to do it again. That kind of blows me away, man. Yeah. That didn't happen back then. <laughs> you had to do it and you had to be on it, right? Yeah. You had to be on it. I mean, he could do some, some minor tweaks to things, yeah. but you had to be real close. And I, yeah, nowadays, I mean, you can whisper into a mic and make it sound like you're a, a, a metal screamer. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, I was just listening to, um, I, I never really knew much about her, but lately I've been listening to Billie Eilish cause it's all the rave. Every, all the kids that I teach guitar to want to learn her songs and everything. Yeah. And what I didn't realize was when I first started listening, the majority of what she's doing is very soft kind of dynamic. Like there's not a lot of full, like head voice kind of singing. No. And it, it's really cool, but I, I hadn't really heard that in a long time. And now with, like you said, you know, you can whisper and sound like you're screaming. You can also do this little soft, like dynamically kind of thing. That's not a full voice. And it, it's a hit song on the radio. Like I just, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I got to figure out how to do that so I can start getting some hit songs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Then we were talking about being in the studio with Ed. What is your process or just say the band's process? Like when you guys are writing stuff, are, do you have an acoustic guitar? Are you just sitting around on your couch watching TV playing? Like how does the stuff come to you when you start writing? So we usually write the, we always write the music first. So we'll come up with like a chord progression or we'll have a lead or something and we'll kind of build a song around it. Or we'll have, you know, four or five different parts that we, we need to kind of expand. Yeah. And then once we have the music kind of done or the shell of the music done, um, I will write vocal melodies around that. 
So it's kind of the opposite. You do, you do the words like last, kind of like, I don't know if you're a Metallica fan or not, but I went, when I was growing up, I used to collect all the imports and the bootlegs because they had the demos where they'd have like the song done and James would just go la 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 in the melody and then he would write the words later on. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much my process. Like I'll try to come up, you know, if Sean or Steve or John if they have written a guitar lead that's that I that we're gonna stick with, I'll write the vocals around the lead. Okay. And I'll I'll come up with, you know, humming parts or, you know, they might have an idea for like a screaming part and the meter of it. And then I'll write the the clean vocal around whatever is already there. And that's kind of how we've always done it. And that's I like having the song kind of mapped out and then fit the, the melody of the vocals and the, the lyrics around that song. Are you, when you're, you know, cause since you are a singer and uh, you're doing all the melodic, am I the- what'd you say? <laughs> I said, am I though? I mean, I, th- I think it is. It's, it's very melodic, pretty singing. Are you, when you're writing those, those, uh, the melodies, are you thinking at all about like note selection or are you just coming up with something on the fly and then working on that and having like a melody that you enjoy or are you actually like painstakingly going over the note selections that you're, you're making in your voice? No, not going over the notes, more just the, the, the melody of it. Yeah. What, what's the line going to be like, where is it going to kind of sit within the other melodic stuff that's already going on? So where does the inspiration come from uh, as far as lyrical content? Because like I've talked about this on the podcast before, uh, I've worked with a lot of different singers. I've never been a lyric guy, but uh, the one thing that I used to do with one of my singers was I would write a demo that was all music and I would name the demo and it was normally like something I was thinking about or whatever I was watching on TV. Like I had a song called Battlefield because I was watching a documentary on war and then he would actually take that title and that would inspire the lyrics he would write to the song like where is your inspiration for lyrical content coming from so i keep a i have a little journal and i i write in it all the time and so it might just be a a, like a phrase or something like that or or if i'm thinking about you know an experience that i had i will jot down some notes and some like keywords like how I'm feeling or how this, uh, this played out or, or, or something like that. So I just keep this journal. And then, you know, as I'm writing melodies, I start looking at like phrases and I kind of build, uh, the song around that. Is, so, um, is a lot of it kind of autobiographical? Yeah, I'd say the majority of it there, there's, there's some, part of it that is going to be, you know, autobiographical or, you know, like an experience that, you know, Sean or John had yeah. and I'll build off of that. Um, you know, it, we try to keep it, I think music, especially if you're, if you're putting your heart and soul into it, if, if you're coming from a place of vulnerability and, and wanting to talk about, you know, things that you've gone through, I think that it it resonates more. I think there's more of an emotional connection there. So I might not come out and say exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's definitely coming from a personal place. Well, and that's the thing. And the, the people in the, you know, that I've known that have been into your band and have really liked the beautiful mistake 
one thing that I've heard from a lot of people is that it's it's honest. I mean, there there are some bands out there that are kind of in the vein of what you guys do. And I mean, I'm not here to judge anybody, but the one thing that I always yeah. liked about you guys is that it didn't it did seem like it was coming from a real place and an honest place. Yeah, we've always tried to do that, you know. I I think that all the bands that we grew up with were coming from an honest place, you know. You listen to Mineral uh, and Serenading. Like that record is just crushing. Yeah. It's so honest or, or dear you with jawbreaker. Like, Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it just, it just crushes you with this raw emotion. And so those are the bands that I've always really loved, you know, along with, uh, you know, somebody like Morrissey, uh, and the Smiths, like those lyrics have always just been, uh, uh like a touchstone for me. Yeah. So I've always res I've always liked bands that were uh, transparent, you know, and that could talk about loss or love or, you know, uh, just bad stuff that goes on and they can kind of channel that and 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 be transparent. That always hooked me, you know. So when you guys I'm not sure the exact time it happened, but, you know, after after Light a Match, the, the Ed Rose record, you guys re-recorded the Beautiful Mistake EP. Yeah. And, and, then, and then you did uh, This Is Who You Are in 2004 for the Militia Group. Yeah. How, how soon after that did the band start to kind of, you know, decide to go on the hiatus or break up? Or was it a full breakup? Yeah, it was kind of a weird thing. So after we got uh, off our tour with Emery, Anatomy of a Ghost, and the AKAs, it was our first headlining tour. Um, Sean and Josh decided to leave the band and it was kind of out of the blue. John and I were, were not expecting that, but tensions, you know, you start factoring in, factoring in money and being away from home and, you know, being married or having a significant other, you know, all those things start to weigh on you doing music because music is pulling you away from being at home. Yeah. And, and so when they left, you know, John and I decided we wanted to keep going and we wanted to, you know, keep plugging away at it. And we had just fulfilled our contract with militia. So they had no obligation to us. And when they quit, uh, about two weeks later, John had some family stuff come up and he decided to go back to Minnesota and that just left me. And, and I was like, well, I want to keep doing the band, you know? But at that point, we lost our manager, we lost our booking agent, we didn't have a label. So I was kind of, you know, rolling the dice to see what would happen. And I got new people, um, but it definitely had a different feel. Yeah. And, you know, two thirds of our fan base vanished <laughs> yeah. when that happened. So, you know, we were really grinding it out at that point. And, and then uh, I did it for about a year and a half. And then at the end of 2005, um, we just slowly stopped doing anything. So there was never like an announcement. There was never a, hey, we're doing our final show. Um, there was never any closure whatsoever. So in the the interim, because I mean, we'll talk about it here in a minute, because you guys sort of, you know, got everything going again in 2018, 12 years later. In the interim between the breakup and I guess 13 years later, and then when you guys got the reunion thing going on, were you playing in other bands? Like, what were you doing for to make money? Like, what, what were you doing in the interim? 
Yeah, so I got a normal job when Beautiful Mistakes stopped touring. Um, I worked for Starbucks. Awesome. And uh, I did that for a few years. And then um, I went back out on tour. There's a band called Project 86. Oh, yeah, Uh, I love Project 86. Yeah, I've known Andrew a long time, and I knew their drummer really well. At the, at, when he was playing with them back in 2010, 2011, and they hired me to come play guitar um, because I lost my job with Starbucks. So I went back out on tour and um, still got to do some music. And then um, I stopped doing that uh, in 2011. And then I, I've been working for the same company. I work for Stone Brewing here in San Diego. Okay. And uh, I've done music here and there. Like I play guitar in a band called the Stranger Kings from Orange County. We're kind of like uh, Echo and the Bunny Men, New Order, Joy Division type band. Um, and it's people that I played in a band with before called the Lassie Foundation. We were from L.A. Um, but yeah, I hadn't done really anything serious until we got back together in 2018. So can you kind of walk me through how that, like the, how the talking came about and like, Hey, why don't we try to do this again? Because I mean, that's quite a gap from 2005, 2006 to 2018. Like how did it start, start up? So each of us were talking to each other, uh, randomly throughout that time. And, uh, when, when all was said and done in 2005, there were a lot of bridges that were burned between us all. Uh, and emotions were still pretty raw. Um, you know, like I said, I kept doing the band and I did it without getting any of their blessing. So they were all still kind of a little, a little bit butthurt by that, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure that that was a a bummer for them, but at the time I didn't even think about that, you know? Yeah. It wasn't even a a consideration on how they felt. And so I think, you know, there were, there were a lot of bridges that we all burned with each other, whether it be over money or interpersonal stuff where you're like, man, this guy sucks. Like he bailed on me. I hate him. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, each of us were talking to each other, but apart from the group. And by 2018, I think that, you know, we were all at a place where we could approach it with maturity, but then also have a little bit of grace for each other. And like, you know, time does heal sometimes. And in this case, you know, when we started talking, it was like, Hey man, I miss you. I hope you're doing well. Like I screwed up back in the day and, and, you know, I hope you forgive me. Like, I hope we can move on. And that was kind of the conversation that everybody had, which was really cool. And so when we uh, decided to get back together, it was for a Dogwood reunion okay. show. Yeah. And Josh and I have been friends forever. And so he was like, does Beautiful Mistake want to play? And I'm like, I'll ask. I'll see. And everybody said yes. And that was really cool. So that's kind of kind of where we were at. And, and we kind of let the past just be the past and not dwell on it, you know? And I think that's hard for a lot of people. I think a lot of bands will never get back together because they can never get over this person wronged me or this person screwed me over and I hate them. Well, man, yeah. I think there's, there's hope for everyone because Guns N' Roses is touring again. So yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. If, if, if Axel and Slash can get, make it work, I think anybody can, you know? 
Yeah, even the Kinks are touring. The Davies. Yeah. Ray Davies made right with his brother or whoever. And I'm like, oh, well, the hell is frozen over officially because they're getting back together. Well, if, if the Gallagher brothers ever get Oasis back together, then everybody's okay. Totally. And <laughs> like Jawbreaker got back together. Dude, I was going to ask you when you brought up Jawbreaker earlier, have you seen the documentary? Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it's amazing, man. Like I, Jawbreaker is just one of those bands for me that I don't know, man. They, I, I will never not like Jawbreaker. <laughs> Yeah, I went to their, I never saw them back in the day, and I got to see them at the Palladium a couple years ago. Yeah. And it was, it. I was singing, I was like a kid, I was singing along to every song, jumping up and down. It was amazing. I mean, that's kind of, I got to go down, this is just a tangent, but uh, I've, I've actually never got to see Jawbreaker play. I want to go see him really bad. I didn't get to go when they were at Riot Fest a while back, but... When uh, I've seen The Descendants a million times, but I got to go down last year and do a podcast with Stefan from The Descendants and watching them play, like, I don't know if you're a fan or not, but man, it's just, they're amazing. Yeah, they're awesome. They have so much energy. And uh, yeah, I saw them a few years ago down here in San Diego and it was rad. I mean, you just have those bands from when you were growing up that kind of got you into you know, if not punk or hardcore or whatever, just kind of that underground scene. It can be any genre of music. And yeah. they mean so much to you, and they're, they they formed kind of who you are as a musician and how you think about music. And you go see them, and maybe they've been playing for 40 years, and they just still have the same energy and the same passion. It just it blows me away. I hope that, you know, when I'm 10, 20 years older, I'm still into it as much as I am now. Yeah, like I saw a Snapcase a couple months ago up in Orange County, and I was I just had a huge smile on my face. And I saw Quicksand a few years ago, huge smile on my face. Like I was like I was a kid again. Yeah, and these bands have meant so much to me over the years that I, you know I, I hope in twenty years that Walter's still touring with one of his bands because I'm gonna go see it yeah. and I'm gonna standing in the back and turning down my hearing aids, but I'm gonna be really excited about it. So you guys got back together in 2018. How does Wiretap Records come into the picture? They're a wonderful record label. I've uh, you know recently started chatting with you know people that work there and trying to get different bands to come on the show and whatnot. I was very very excited that the beautiful mistake signed to that label because I think you guys are going to do great things with them. But how did that come into the picture for the band? Were you guys planning on doing a new record or was it still just? we're back together and we're going to play some shows. Yeah. In 2018, we played the two shows and we just had a blast. So we all started talking regularly and we're like, Hey, we want to hang out. And two, we want to make new music. Let's see if we can still write songs together. So we flew out to the Denver area where our drummer lives and we jammed out like four songs in one weekend. Wow. The music side of it. Yeah. And we were all looking at each other. Like we've still got it. Like, we still like can write together and we can have fun. And, and so we worked out, we did that a couple more times and then um, decided to go to Bo uh, Burchell from Seosin. And we got hooked up with him through Ray from taken Ray Harkins. Okay. Yeah. Who is the nicest human being in all of the music industry. Shout out to Ray hundred words or less uh, network mate of mine on Jabberjaw. Yeah. Ray's awesome. And we had, we knew him from back in the day. And so he hooked up us going to Bo and we went to Bo and it was just an awesome experience. The best recording experience we had ever had. 
his stuff sounds so amazing too. I, it amazes me. Like I've spoken to him a few times and I want to have him on the show, but like just the tones that he gets, I don't know how he does it, you know? Yeah. He's a genius and everything. He's so meticulous about everything, but then he also captures energy as well. So, you know, I think sometimes people can't strike that balance when they're producing, like yeah. everything is perfect and, and they're so meticulous about everything, but then there's really no energy. It sounds almost sterile when you hear it. And he does, a, he does such an amazing job of capturing that performance and then, but also just getting those tones that are just ripping. So we had a rad time with him. We, we just paid for that ourselves. And so we had this five song EP and we sent it to a few people and we actually knew Rob from back in the day. Um, he had done an EPK for us with the militia group on the seventh beautiful mistake EP re-release probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember which one. And he, you know, we've always liked his label and, and he's just a straight up guy. So, um, he wanted to cash in on some of our expired scene points from back in the day and he yeah. decided to put it out. That's awesome. And you guys, the, the first thing that's out right now, the new single Memento Mori was released on January 27th and, uh, I had it saved. I couldn't wait. So as soon as like midnight hit, it came on there and I listened to it a bunch, but, uh, how has the response been when you, when you're a band that's been gone for 13 or so years now, 14 years, you know, into 2000, actually 2020, it's about 15 years. Um, how, what are people like stoked about it? Are people emailing, hitting you up on your socials? Like, is it bigger than you thought it was going to be? Or like, how has it been? Yeah. So first we had zero expectations and yeah. there's no pressure on us. We can do it. We're just doing this for fun. And, and so the response has been awesome. I mean, it's been really cool and people have kind of come out of the woodwork and been like, I haven't listened to you since light a match or I saw you play with brand new in 2003 and then I totally forgot about you. And then this popped up in my feed and oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you're back. I've gone back and listened to everything. So it's really cool for us because we've seen that, you know, we did have a lot of people that, that the music connected with. But then there's new people that are like, I've never heard of you before, and I love it. So for us, it it's validating in the sense of it doesn't feel like it's just a nostalgia act. Like we're not just, you know, oh, well, they're just going to put out a new EP and it's just 2003 all over again, you know? Like 99.9% .9 of the, the feedback has been just very encouraging and people are genuinely excited, which is really cool. Well, I'll tell you, you know, being a fan and listening to, you know, all of the stuff, but especially the first December EP, I will say listening to the new single before I heard it, I was very excited, but I was also like, it's been so long. Is it going to just kind of sound like that early two thousands kind of emo -y hardcore stuff? And I'll tell you, it strikes a really good balance of having that nostalgia, but also sounding very modern and not dated at all. Very cool. Yeah, that that's really uh, that's an awesome compliment. I mean, that's that's what we wanted. You know, obviously we're from that was our heyday back then. That's the scene that we operated in. Yeah. So, you know, we still all listen to all those bands. You know that we grew up with. So the the influences haven't changed too much. But but you know what we wanted to do with the new stuff, and I think the first song is probably the most relatable 
to our old stuff. Okay. Uh, I think the other stuff is still genuinely us, but it's either going to be a lot heavier or a lot spacier. Okay. The second single that'll be out at the end of February is, is brutal. Like it's heavy. And we're, we're excited to see what the response is for that. You know, um, are there any new bands that, you know, you have found yourself being inspired by or influenced by since maybe the last full length or actually the last split came out? I guess you guys did a split in like 06 or 05, right? Yeah. So I, all of us listen to different stuff. Like John, our bass player, is just a, a music, um, awesome music curator is how I would describe him. He's always listening to new stuff. So he's always sending us recommendations. You got to check out this band. You got to check out this band. So, you know, uh, I'd say like Defeater is a band that we've all gotten into. Um, we really like Loathe, the band Loathe, um, Holy Fawn, um, Teenage Wrist, stuff like that. Those are some of the newer bands that we've been listening to over the years since we had stopped playing before. So, um, you know, and then just amping up the, the heaviness factor of it. Yeah. Um, and then the space factor, you know, like we all love shoegaze stuff. We all listen to my bloody Valentine and, and, uh, things like that. So we love that, you know, kind of just crazy heavy space, but, you know, kind of, kind of going along those lines. So, you know, last, last big question I've had you on the line for a while, as far as like songwriting, you guys were worried that maybe you didn't still, you weren't able to write songs together in that weekend where you put the four songs together. Was it just like, you know, like riding a bike, like, did it just feel natural because you guys used to do it so much or was there something that kind of jump started it? No, it, it felt really natural. Like we, we all came with ideas. And, you know, John came with like a couple songs fully done and Sean came with a couple songs that he had fully done and I came with a song. And so what we did was we kind of took those ideas and then, you know, as a group started to modify them. And that's what we used to do before. You know, there was no like one songwriter that wrote everything. So it was a, a collaborative effort, but it was so smooth, like you know, John would be like, Hey, I think this bridge, maybe try this chord here. And maybe what about, what do you think about this progression? And we'd be all like, Oh yeah, that's awesome. That fits perfect. And then, you know, I'm like, okay, this song needs like a, an outro, like uh breakdown. Okay. Why don't we try this and like go out of that chorus into this heavy part. And so it was all of us just like, just on, like we were just, we felt really good about it. And, you know, there was also no drama. <laughs> so it's very, so, very democratic process then, right? Yeah, very democratic process. I mean, we had seven songs and we chose five of them for the EP. And and we did it by like blind ballot. Everyone put in the hat and anonymous like, I want track one, three, four, six, and seven, you know? And then another person would vote on which ones they wanted. And that's how we picked the songs. And there was no like, man, nobody likes my song. Or, oh, yeah. man, like I spent all night writing those, ly you know, those lyrics and you guys hate me. None <laughs> of that stuff. It yeah. was so refreshing because musicians are lame sometimes. Like, 
they get so bent out of shape about the, you know, their egos get damaged and it's nice to be in a spot where that doesn't happen anymore. That's good, man. So, uh, the new EP, you're not broken. I am is out on wiretap records. When does the actual full EP drop? March 27th, March 27th. And we're going to get one more single before then. Correct. Yeah. We're going to get one more single, uh, that comes out February 28th. Okay. And there's also a video for that coming out as well. Now, are we going to have, since it's on wiretap, I mean, I know it'll be on all Spotify and all the streaming sites, but are we getting like vinyl CD? What are we getting? We're getting vinyl. Okay. So, uh, we're going to be doing, uh, two colors of vinyl for us and then disconnect disconnect records in the UK is putting out, uh, the record as well for Europe. And so they're going to have an exclusive color for just Europe. Awesome, man. Yeah. We'll have some fun packages with some cool stuff, like hang out with me for an hour, you know, VIP packet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, we'll have some packages though, like, you know, with t-shirts and stuff. Our buddy Comteen did the layout for the record and, um, he's in the band chain gang of 1974 and he was in teenage wrist. And so he's done some really cool stuff for, for the release and we're excited to show that to everybody. So that's one thing we haven't really discussed. You did the reunion shows and then everything went well. You wrote the EP, you signed uh, with wiretap to put out the record. Are you guys going to be touring or is this just kind of like you're back together, but now people maybe have families or jobs. Like, is it going to be a full on like assault of the beautiful mistake in 2020? It's going to be a full on assault. Uh, balanced with us having jobs and and some of us, you know, our drummer and and guitar player being and well, Sean, Josh, and Steve being married, so it's going to be a full on assault, but uh, strategically uh, planned over long weekends and maybe short uh, little bursts of shows, you know. But we want to play shows and we're excited, you know. We're doing um, we're working on some Southern California shows for May right now. Um, as kind of an album release, uh, we're doing Furnace Fest out in Birmingham, Alabama, which has every ridiculously awesome band. Dude, I, I saw I saw the lineup for that. Like the funny thing is, I uh, when I I don't even I think uh, your publicist is a friend of mine on Facebook. He posted about you guys. I'm like, oh my god, the beautiful mistake. And then I hit him up, and we set this up. But I also somehow in that whole thing found the Furnace Fest lineup. And I followed them on Instagram and then they followed me back. And I was just like, man, every band that I would want to have at Furnace Fest is now going to be playing Furnace Fest. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I keep looking at it and going, oh, I love all these bands. Oh, and Beautiful Mistake is playing too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Hot Water Music's playing. You can't beat that, man. No, but Converge. I know Converge. I'm trying to think who else. Like there was, there were too many for me to even remember. Like every... Every band that they announced, I was like, wow, I can't believe like some bands that haven't played for a long time or even getting back together. Avail's yeah. playing, you know, Avail, Boy Sets Fire, um, Haste, Hope's Fall, Beloved is back. Together. Beloved is actually I know that blew me away, man. Like I, I got to get yeah. those guys on the show so bad. <laughs> yeah, they're legit. They're like super nice guys. We knew them from back in the day, but like Code 7 is back. Together. I, I know that was actually another thing. I saw that on there and uh, I'm having John from Code 7 on the show real soon. Nice. We love that band. We, we, we played with them a couple times, but they're one of those bands that 
we just always really respected and thought the world of like every one of their records is great and it's a progression and they were one of those bands that that meant a lot to us back in the day like we felt like we identified with them and hopes fall and things like that more than you know maybe your you know banes or things like that yeah well, yeah, Hope's Fall is amazing. And I mean, you were talking about Beloved, that failure on record. I, I don't think you can get a better record than that. No, that's a great record. They're awesome dudes. <laughs> you and I should hang out. I, th- I think we like a lot of the same stuff, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Come down to San Diego. I definitely will. If you guys get out to Indiana, I, I, I want to hang out with you. So that kind of brings up my final thing then. You've got some shows in May and whatnot, and you're playing Furnace Fest. Um, do you guys have anything on the books right now other than furnace fest or is it all just kind of in the works it's just in the works right now um we'll, we'll probably do some northwest shows and uh we'll, we're hopefully going to do a short run on the east coast and maybe some midwest shows as well, well but if, just if you're in the midwest we're gonna we're gonna chill man awesome <laughs> as long as it's not winter because yesterday it was like 81 degrees here in san diego and sunny so dude I, I know we uh it's uh i think it's about 20 right now and we're supposed to get snow all day so yeah i was just saying that to be a jerk because well i, I the, the thing is i don't know have you ever have you ever heard of a band called undermined yeah on they were on kung fu well i played bass for him for a while and i remember it was like 2005 i flew out on new year's day to San Diego to Nick, their singer's house to, to rehearse and get ready for this tour. And, uh, the day that I left, there was an ice storm in Indiana and all of the phone lines got knocked out and I couldn't get a hold of any of my family or my girlfriend or anything for like, <laughs> I think it was, I don't know, like a week or something. And I yeah. thought everybody was dead. <laughs> oh no. And I'm in San Diego on the beach, you know, like drinking a beer. It's like 90 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I envy where you live, man. It's uh but it's it's kind of expensive out there, I gotta say. Yeah, it's a it's a little ridiculous. Are, it's, are you like in San Diego proper or are you like like around Oceanside? Like what part of San Diego are you in? So I live about twenty miles east of Oceanside. So I live inland. I live in a town called Escondido. Oh, Escondido. That's actually I'm trying I think that's where Nick from Underminded used to live. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty, it's kind of a, it's a pretty awesome place. Like I grew up here, so it's home Yeah, and, uh, it's not super fancy and it's a little bit cheaper than living in San Diego or living by the beach. So I like it. That's cool, man. Is there anywhere else that you would ever consider living other than California? I know, uh, I know that's a weird question. Oslo, Norway. I like Oslo a lot. Oslo is um, great. Yeah. <laughs> No, I have family in Minnesota. Like I was born in Minnesota, so I'm back in the Midwest a lot visiting them. Um, but I just I love the weather. Like outside of the weather, there's not a lot I like about California. Yeah. But the weather's perfect. Like I can ride my motorcycle 340 days a year. Um, my job's close. You know, I have friends here, so you know I, I do like it, but um, only for the weather, most. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, man, I've had a blast talking to you today. I want everybody out there listening to make sure to pre-save on all the streaming sites. The new EP, You're Not Broken, I Am. It's on Wiretap Records. The new single right now currently is Memento Mori. It was released on January 27th, so go listen. We have a new, what's the new single called? Can you tell us that coming out in February? It's called East of Eden. East of Eden, and that's on February 28th, correct? 
Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, can you give my listeners the socials and any web presence so they can check you guys out? Yeah, if you just look up the beautiful mistake official on Facebook, uh, just make sure it says official because there's another account floating around out there um, that is not us. Um, and then uh, the beautiful mistake band on Instagram. Uh, we have a lot of fun with that, and you'll probably waste a lot of time looking at really dumb stories that we post. Awesome. But um, uh, yeah, those are the two that we mainly use. I think we have a Twitter but I don't know if we use it that often. Yeah, that's the thing. I have everything for this podcast, but the one that I neglect is Twitter, and I'm not really sure. Maybe I need to get on that. Maybe you guys do too. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. And I think there's a whole bunch of other social media things that we don't use. Like someone was talking about TikTok the other day. I'm like, I have no idea what that is. I think it's something where people like lip sync or something, but I've never, ever checked it out. So yeah, we're in, we're in the dark on TikTok. I don't know. Yeah. I'm too old for that. I'm thinking like MySpace is like my speed, <laughs> but that doesn't exist anymore. So, you know, MySpace does exist. It just, it's in this weird, like dark web area. If you go like, I found my old band's MySpace page and actually got some old pictures off of it that I was using for something else, but it's still there. It's just hard to find. All right. You're going to have to send me some info on that because I would like to see all that. Or maybe I don't want to see all the MySpace Well, stuff. you guys had a beautiful mistake, MySpace. I'll tell you what, I'll find it and I'll send you a link. Awesome. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being on the program today. And you know, when you guys get some more information, you're doing some new tour dates, whatever, please come back and talk to us again. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. It was great to talk to you, and I will talk to you soon, man. Good luck with everything in the future. All right, thanks. Cheers. Have a good day. So there it was, my conversation with Josh from The Beautiful Mistake. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. It was so nice to uh, get to talk to Josh. I've been a huge fan of his band for quite a long time, and it's cool kind of hearing the history and, and how things get back together, you know, like... Me starting this podcast because I missed the scene. I missed being a part of it. And it's cool that, like, you know, Josh and, and that, that band just say, hey, we're going to get back together to play this show with Dogwood. And then all of a sudden, they're back. And they've got this amazing EP coming out. It's it's really cool. It's almost like it was meant to be. And you guys need to check it out. They have two singles out. East of Eden just premiered last week. So make sure to check that out. I'm actually going to play that here at the end so you guys can check it out as well. But go pre-save everything on Spotify. Their EP comes out this month. You guys don't want to miss it on Wiretap Records, amazing record label. And uh, you need to check out some other Wiretap bands. I'm trying to get some other bands on the show. Currently, at the moment, I'm speaking with Wiretap and uh, all their publicists and whatnot. So in the future, you should be hearing more Wiretap artists on this program. But thank you guys so much for coming back week in and week out. I really appreciate the support. Make sure to check out my sponsors, Playing Dead, the band that sponsored this episode, Permanent Tattoo Gallery, Merge 4. Hit me up if you want a 50% off code for Merge 4. And also, go learn some math. Mr. Small Does Math. Tinyurl.com forward slash Mr. Small Does Math. Once again, if you want to sponsor an episode or two, hit me up, podcast at gmail.com. If you have any mixing or mastering or production needs, hit me up at motormouthdigital at gmail.com or podcast at gmail.com. Whichever works for you. I check both emails. It doesn't matter. 
Okay, so uh, Wednesday, I am flying out to Oregon to visit some family. I'm also planning on trying to see my buddy Dewey over the Peer Pleasure podcast and some other friends. If you guys are in the Portland slash Eugene slash Corvallis area of Oregon, hit me up. Let me know what's going on. Let me know what's good. I'm going to be out there for close to a week, and uh, it'd be cool to see some of the cool sights and if there's any bands playing or whatever, just let me know what's going on. I'm, I haven't been to Oregon in probably like 10 years, so I'm really excited. But that's it for this week. Thank you guys so much once again. I love doing this podcast. You're, you are all amazing for being a part of it. And I'm going to leave you with the brand new Beautiful Mistake single. It's entitled East of Eden. It's on their new EP that drops this month. Make sure to pre-save on Spotify. But I will catch you guys soon. No episode next week. There might be a bonus episode, but there might not be anything. I'm working on something cool right now, but I'm not sure when it's going to come out. So uh, if you don't hear from me next week, there'll definitely be an episode the week after. I'm going to be traveling. It might be hard to do. But uh, if not, I'll see you guys in two weeks. So enjoy this. This is The Beautiful Mistake with East of Eden. And this is Chris. As always, peace. Let's go!
Paris is Alice In a detail, that's what I turn. <laughs>